0: Okay, welcome everyone to the latest installment of Balanced Webinar Introduction to Psychedelics. I am your host, Ben Greenswag. Information about this webinar and our resources can be found at balancedtrail.com, which is education for the psychedelic curious. And it is with tremendous pleasure, uh, for those of you watching and will be listening on our Anchor FM podcast, to introduce one of my newest friends. Uh, Sanjay Singh Hall, who's going to be joining me. and I'm talking about how a father, entrepreneur, investor, philanthropist, and psychonaut, uh, the perspective on breaking the cycle of depressive and anxious thoughts. Sanjay, welcome to the podcast. How are you today?
1: <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Uh, doing great. It's a good day.
0: It's a good day, indeed. I love it. So, You and I, of course, met through some mutual connections. uh, And among those in the psychedelic space, you have a phenomenal reputation that precedes you. But let's assume those listening are in the very early uh, parts of their exploratory journey on psychedelics. So why don't you introduce yourself and let us know how you got into this uh, crazy world of psychedelics. And we'll dive in from there.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, so my first introduction to psychedelics was more recreational and only three years ago. Um, and a very minor thing, just ended up having a a nice time on a beach in Thailand. Um, and then, uh, I, like eight months later, fortuitously, I happened to see Robin Carhart-Harris speaking at a conference in Toronto, and one of the things he mentioned was that, um, uh, psilocybin in particular perhaps could be a a treatment for anorexia, and I have a personal connection to that. My daughter has suffered from anorexia. and thought, wow, this is fascinating. So I spoke to Robin after the conference. My daughter and I flew to London and met with his team at Imperial and at Oxford at the time, um, and really got to, to find out what's going on with, um, with research for all kinds of indications. Uh, depression, anorexia, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, end-of-life anxiety, uh, the, it, w- it was endless. And it was just so exciting that these are things that there's no effective treatments for. So um, So got excited and agreed to fund, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to sell my tech company a few years ago, and we agreed to be one of the the core founders of his new research institute at Imperial, and then then went off on a quest, like who else is doing stuff like this, and have gotten to meet a bunch of great people like yourself who are interested in the space, some people who are researchers, some people who are funders, some people who are psychonauts, and I love hearing the trip uh, journeys. I've. You know, since then, I've done multiple sessions with therapists in the room or MDs in the room, high dosage psilocybin or LSD or DMT, and every time had this amazing experience of, um, you know, getting deeper and deeper inside my psyche, becoming somebody who's more emotionally available. My relationship with my kids, my relationship with my wife have both improved uh, after my wife being initially very skeptical that uh, you know, it's like, you're just doing this for fun. You're saying that you're doing it with therapists, but you know, and then I remember after my second session, her saying, um, you know, wow, you really have changed. Like, you're <laughs> more present, that was great. So, so yeah, so it's been, it's been a fun journey. So, so, so let's
0: rewind a little bit because for people, uh, you know, the, these podcasts are meant for those that have virtually little knowledge on psychedelics. And for those that do, certainly if they're of a certain age, they typically equate psychedelics with the just say no generation and all drugs are bad and I don't want to be a hippie and Timothy Leary and it's going to expand my mind in ways that I'm not comfortable with. For those, that individual that's listening, what were your, what were your maybe prejudice, but I want to put words in your mouth, what were your assumptions about psychedelics before you became interested in them? And how did you begin to... Uh,
1: change your mind. Well, I got to say, you know, a bunch of things happened in the 60s and 70s that were unfortunate. One of them was calling LSD acid. Um, I mean, it literally is. But um, somebody invited me to do acid with with a few people at a at a campground um, several years ago. And my reaction was, this is interesting, but there's no way I'm doing something that's called dropping acid. That was just <laughs> yeah. Um, so it didn't. And you know, since then I tried acid, um, and it's completely harmless. It's this beautiful experience that I, I wish somehow had been conveyed properly. Because the reasons for making LSD, mushrooms, uh, other psychedelics illegal has nothing to do with their harm, and everything to do with politics. So you know, so I had this preconceived notion. You know, things like it can make you psychotic. It can make you jump off a balcony. It can make you, um, you know, become a completely different person. No, no, it, it, none of these compounds do anything of the sort. They can make you see inside yourself. They can make you be a better person. There are dangers, but the dangers are so minute compared to the potential benefits. You know, it's, you know, aspirin is more dangerous. Any, any kind of drug for depression is far more dangerous than these compounds. So um, yeah, I was a victim of that. You know, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Uh, uh, advertisements, and now we've become a pretty, I think, passionate advocate for saying, you know, you have to forget all that. It, uh, it's just not true.
0: So you touch upon a uh, very, very deep, you know, very personal, very sensitive area, which I'm so grateful that you shared, which is your daughter um, and and certainly her, her, her battles with eating disorder. We've addressed on other podcasts um, everything from depression, PTSD, trauma, anxiety, mood swings. The whole nine yards. And so, you know, from from an eating disorder perspective, while certainly it's become a bit more common, there's still this knowledge gap on quantifying, you know, anorexia, bulimia with a mental health ailment. Um, Can you talk us through a little bit about that journey from, from a father and a caregiver's perspective on was there a gap to fill? How did that gap get filled? How did you come to understand eating disorders? as a mental health challenge, let alone one that might actually be solved with psychedelics.
1: Right, yeah, I mean, I was probably with the general public um, before my daughter was diagnosed, so thinking that this is just, you know, somebody wants to look better, they want to look thinner, and it gets a little out of control. All you have to do is have a talk with them and eventually get it back. It's a, it's a rich uh, teenage girl's uh, disease. And then as we got further into it and spoke with psychologists, psychiatrists, and started to realize that, no, this is a genuine takeover of your brain by by a disease that unfortunately or fortunately makes you smarter and more focused. And, you know, in a lot of cases look really good. So it's very hard to take seriously as a mental disorder. But some of the things we found out is that there is no effective treatment. It kills 25% of people who get it. Um, it is the most intractable mental disorder. Uh, if you talk to any psychiatrist, it's, it's just when you meet somebody who's had an eating disorder, you can, your best hope of treating it is in the first two years. Once it goes past that period, it becomes very problematic. Um, and people can just waste away and, and feel good the end. Well, I mean, not feel good because they're never happy with how thin they are, but, feel good as they start to waste away. And it doesn't matter how many people say, this is a little bit too much, they still think they, they look better thinner. There's a body dysmorphia and quite often anxiety and uh, OCD that accompany it. Um, and you know, how do you deal with all these things at the same time? It's very difficult.
0: So take our, our audience through how you got from even eating disorder with my daughter to, I believe psychedelics can help. And how do you solve for that transformation? You said about dropping acid and all that stuff growing up to, I'm going to voluntarily, I'm going to support my daughter's journey on this um, because I think it can help her because, you know, for those that might not be as experienced or familiar, that's a pretty scary line of thought that you're going to give your child these quote, unquote, you know, illegal psychedelics, uh, you know, whether or not they were legal or not at the time. Um, that's quite a decision for a parent to make. Can you can you walk us through that journey?
1: Sure. Yeah, no, it was scary. Uh, it is scary. The, um, you know, I, I'm going to talk for a second about uh, other people I know that, yes. uh, that have eating disorders that have experimented uh, in this fashion. I don't want to center it on my daughter. Um, of course. But, um, you know, so shortly after meeting with, uh, with Robin and getting involved in psychedelic research, completely on hearsay, but pretty strong hearsay, um, I booked my first session with a therapist and took four and a half grams of psilocybin, um, which was, you know, I'd, I'd only ever done one gram before recreationally. Uh, so four and a half knocked me out. I mean, two <laughs> hours with, um, you know, eye shades on and, and hear, uh, headphones, listening to classical music. I was out, I was having the wildest, you know, I was in a, like a blue vector line um, version of a carnival. Like I was on a roller coaster, but everything was like a grid that was on it. Um, The music sounded incredible. I got sick and threw up, but it seemed to be unrelated, like uh, unrelated to the trip, but it was related to my own psychology, trying to get something out. I went through a rebirth experience Um, where I was going through a tunnel and was trying to escape and I thought I was like underwater and and was trying to find a way out underneath uh, this trap I was in, but it turns out I was, my perspective was wrong. I should be looking up and it was actually a way out. It was, it was wild. Um, Then I came out after a couple of hours, had a two-hour conversation with the therapist, um, part of which was, I feel so amazing. You know, I I feel like I discovered one of the fundamental purposes of life, which is just to appreciate what's out there. Like, I remember looking around and marveling at things and marveling at myself, like, I can't believe this exists. Like, Mm -hmm. we should be thankful every single day that this whole thing around us just exists. Um, so in a sense, it wasn't very, um, earth shattering. Um, I discovered the whole love is the most important thing. I realize now why people say it. I used to think it was trite and stupid, Um, (laughs) but it really is. You know, when you think about love as connection, I felt so connected with everybody and how much happier that made me. Um, So I say all this, which seems like an indirect answer to your question, but I say it all because it made me feel safe. And it made me think everybody has to experience this and not just my daughter or, you know, I've, subsequently arranged for sessions, and they're, and they're unfortunately fairly expensive compared to a regular therapy session because they're so long, but for co-workers, for friends of mine, and people have had anywhere from a mildly positive experience to a wildly positive experience, um, on them, including my mom. I gave my mom, (laughs) my mom's 74, I gave her a gram of psilocybin and said, Hey, um, you know, relax. She was having pain in her knee and I said, relax, lie down. Um, just close your eyes and meditate. She was big on meditation. About two hours later, she called me into the room and said, son, I am so happy you asked me to do this. I'm so happy I did it. The pain in my knee is gone. I haven't felt this good in ages. I feel like I'm floating in space. I haven't met any aliens yet, so I'm kind of disappointed. but..." Um, but it just, it's just this beautiful experience now that she wants to do every year on Mother's Day. Um, <laughs> she's, still, she's still a little bit of a victim of the, you know, she asked me, is this a drug or is it a medicine? And it's like, I don't really understand the difference. I, I guess a medicine is prescribed, a drug is just something to take. Um, <laughs> but it was such a good experience. And then subsequently, you know, my daughter, other people I know have had experiences um, uh, with some of these substances that, you know, are they widely accepted or widely not? And um, the experiences have been uniformly good. So,
0: right now, someone's listening, and they might be battling depression, situational. Uh, it might be a bit more innate anxiety. What advice will you give them for them to start their journey and figure out if this is something that's right for them? Because you know, I think. The general consensus is that while this is very positive for a lot of people, it doesn't necessarily mean it is right for every person. Um, Whether that's a mindset, whether that's different kinds of conditions, but people need to come around to wanting to embrace these medicines um, and take that risk, that leap of faith. What kind of advice would you give someone who is psycho curious? What should they read? What should they listen to? Where should they go? to begin developing their own understanding of what these medicines can do. And I call them medicines, not drugs. So there's the answer for your mother. I think you have frozen Sanjay. All right, so it looks like Sanjay has frozen. And I am going to continue and fill a little bit of time here. And it's just me. So Sanjay has frozen. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk a little bit about the experience that I have had uh, with my MDMA therapy because uh, it is a little bit different. It is also known as the Club Drug Molly. And before I went on my uh, journey, um, oh, I think oh, that might be hey. Sanjay coming back here.
1: Hey, Benjamin. Uh, sorry about that. I uh, lost my Wi-Fi. It tethered oh. to my phone.
0: <laughs> that's okay i'm gonna finish my anecdote that i was filling the gap time with and then yeah. get it back to you um but uh, what i was saying was uh I, my, my MDMA experience which was known as a club drug molly uh, people kept on telling you that it's going to be this euphoric amazing unbelievable experience and i have no doubt that it is for many people but a lot of it depends on your intention and what happens and i was able to go back and relive a very harsh trauma which i had no conscious memory of at all um it was a very successful experience. When I came out of it, I had sweat through my shirt. I also vomited. I purged. Um, and I said, for those people that think that this is nothing but a recreational experience, they need to have it like this because it's therapeutic and it's cathartic, but it wasn't very recreational. So a lot of it depends on the experience. Um, but now that you're back, Sanjay, did you hear my question or should I rephrase it?
1: I, I got to the, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, have a good experience, but yeah.
0: Yeah. So the question is, uh, for those that are curious, that are starting to understand that this is right for them, you know, what are your thoughts first and foremost on the general thought process that this might not be right for everybody? What are yeah, your thoughts I, on
1: that? Yeah, I think um, from the experience of my friends uh, who tried it, I mean, I've found, for example, that I prefer LSD to psilocybin. Um, i found that, you know, MDMA is fantastic as a party drug. <laughs> you, you had a different experience. <laughs> Different Um,
0: definition of party on
1: this side. Yeah, yeah, but it's also very cathartic in the sense that I remember one time being with somebody where we ended up not being at a club against our will, we wanted to be at a club, but but just ended up sitting around in the hotel room after taking MDMA, and we had the most amazing conversation where he opened up about some of his own experiences that made me think that I don't know this person, this is wild. Um, So the thing I can say is, the drugs act with different mechanisms and, um, and can have very different results for, for different people. I think there's certain rules that are consistent among them, which is walk towards the, the fear, not away from it. If you see a closed door, open it. If you see a monster, talk to it, and you'll discover some amazing things because usually that's trauma in your own life. I also yes. had that same experience of, you know, um, I was, you know, I'd gone to the bottom of the ocean, and somebody offered me a, uh, a diving suit to protect myself, and it was protecting myself from my emotions, uh, and I said, no, thank you, let me, see, let me see what happens when I experience these emotions, and it was, then the trauma came, and hmm. I was able to experience that and deal with it, deal with it. I came out, uh, thinking, holy crap, you know, it's like, I had some vague notion that some of this stuff happened, but... You know, one of the best things about this is you don't need to have a therapist there. You can resolve a lot of this stuff on your own when you, when you know it happened. Um, maybe a therapist is helpful afterwards, but the experience itself. I remember people checking on me and saying, you okay?" okay. Um, it's like, no, I'm great. Just, you know, just leave me alone um, for a little while. I need to process this. Right. So I would say to everybody, you know, maybe start slow, right? See what your reaction to it is. Microtosing is a thing with both psilocybin and LSD. You know, you take a 10th of what you would take recreationally and just see how that affects you. It, it is a really powerful antidepressant at that level. Um, so if you have a little bit of anxiety or feeling down, you know, just taking this once every few days and it's completely harmless substance. Um, so there's, there's nothing to fear from at a, you know, a tox, at a toxicity or physiological level, you might have a bad experience, but that's also very easy to control for by not doing this in a dark room, not listening to heavy metal music while you're doing it, having set some intention of what you want to discover about yourself. Like the incidents, there's never been a single adverse event under controlled circumstances, meaning medical testing in over a thousand trials um, of LSD or psilocybin. Uh, So yeah, it's it's safe. I would say, try it, try a few different things. If the first one doesn't work, you'll find something that works.
0: Yeah. Setting, setting an intention are unbelievable influences. And when you think about uh, trying to understand the power of these medicines, there's no other pill that you take in, in Western medicine where the actual impact is so influenced by your setting and your intention. You don't, take a cholesterol pill and say cholesterol go down, or you, know, you didn't even take an aspirin and say pain go away. Uh, and that's just a very small insightful testament to, to these medicines for sure. Um, you mentioned something else I wanna ask you about, which is a lot of the research um, coming out of the clinical trials coming out of these studies really seems to almost um, destroy this concept of a bad trip. Uh, There is no bad trip. Uh, If you have a bad experience, it just might be, again, this trauma that you either are are facing or it's not the right setting. What are your thoughts on bad trips?
1: So I had a bad trip. Um,
0: (laughs) Of course you did. (laughs) I
1: I accidentally took more LSD than I thought I was taking because I didn't realize how big a tab was. So I took 800 micrograms instead of 100. And 100 is a pretty... good dose, you're gonna, you're gonna be field tripping. I went to a place, first I started experiencing the moment over and over again, which is something that is not completely uncommon, where everything that happened would, would, would then repeat, and everything that would happen would repeat. And after the third time, it's like, okay, I see what's going on, it's repeating. Okay, I see what is going on, it's repeating, I see. And then it would telescope out to a thousand instances of this, and it start to freak out, and then, and then I was in the presence of this ball that seemed to represent everything that is or ever was, all matter, emotions, thoughts, ideas, and, and that calmed me. And I realized that nothing mattered because we all came from one place. We're all going back to that one place. And I, I tell people now, you know, that as I fell into what was a freaky experience, um, I also became completely calm about what's going on with the universe. Um, mm-hmm. And that stayed with me. That stayed with me in a really powerful way that, you know, know, one way of saying it is that, you know, everything we see here is an illusion and we live in some sort of a matrix, but that's, you know, it's, 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 that makes it sound trite and makes it sound like I've, I've lost my mind in some ways, but (laughs) it's more just the realizing that everything's connected and, and it's all going to be okay, right? It's all going to be okay. Uh, so, you know, and since then, you know, I've had experiences where, you know, some of these, uh, I would see like vines, sorry, uh, snakes, you know, all around me. Um, and it being very dark. But if I tried to examine the snakes or grab one, it would turn into a vine. And then could turn. I could make it turn into a vine that turned into a, a rose that then became very beautiful. Um, and I found that with everything. Anytime I had a negative experience, if I went towards it, it could become a beautiful experience, or it could be something I really need to look at. So people can have bad experiences, but they always result in a good outcome. It
0: really brilliantly said, Sanjay. And, you know, one of the challenges with regular talk therapy is that either you don't have a therapist trained enough to go that deep, or simply the trauma or your issues are so deep that it would just take Years and maybe even decades to ever get that far and your body puts up a lot of natural defense mechanisms Uh, There's a reason why they're called buried trauma (laughs) you don't want them to surface But psychedelics, you know remove, you know, what some have called the ego. It removes a lot of your control and resets your default mode mechanism Um, And so it really opens you up. So of course, you know, you've had, you know, you've had multiple experiences Uh, your bad one, of course, and a lot of positive. So of course, if I'm listening right now and I've never done this, I'm going to say, okay, so is everything perfect in your life right now? Is everything just going great? Or are you still having challenges and and, and how are you handling these challenges? Because clearly, you know, you could not have predicted, uh, nor should you, uh, you know, a pandemic and what that might do to life or business. So how are you handling new challenges with your reframed mindset?
1: Oh, I love that question. You know, there's... um, Uh, Of course, there's challenges, right? I happen to operate restaurants as one of my primary businesses, completely shut down, um, took a massive financial hit. Um, But the edge is taken off, right? I can look at it and go, well, this is unfortunate, um, and and be annoyed, be, right? But there's no stress associated with it. I still sleep well, I still, you know, I can still have great conversations with people. And I was eventually able to say, okay, it's a one-time financial hit. They're gonna come back, right? And in the meantime, I'm gonna enjoy myself. Um, I'm, you know, I have so much better relationship. It wasn't a bad relationship before with my kids, but now I feel so much better about spending time with them. They're nine and 11 years old, two boys with a lot of energy are constantly saying, let's go play catch or can you play this video game with us? And I'm just happier about saying, yeah, sure, why not? Um, Now because work's not that important. That, that was actually a big thing that came out of it is, yeah, you know, work's just not that important. I don't need to, don't need to think about this all the time.
0: Bill Murray's famous, it just doesn't matter, which is a phenomenal uh, ad lib line for meatballs, which uh, certainly has guided my life among many others. But you talk about a very important point, which is psychedelics being able to almost reset your mind. You know, what I had found is no matter how much I've tried alternative methods or traditional methods, whether it was Western medicine, uh, meditation, acupuncture, talk therapy. And by the way, I don't knock any of them. There's places for all of them in life, both maintenance and afterwards. Um, I felt that at the end of the day, I still wasn't changing the way I processed circumstances. And even though I might get better at processing them after I've already reacted, I had no, no break, no short circuit to, to, to change that gut reaction to, oh my God, I'm an investor in all these restaurants and it's the end of the world and it's never gonna get better. And then you get to that cycle of depressive and anxious thoughts. And I know that's something that's very important to you is that cycle. Um, so talk to me a little bit on, on that point, breaking that cycle and you alluded it to just now, which is okay, it will come back and I'll use this time. Is that something you ever thought you'd be able to do prior to your successful psychedelic assisted therapies?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've certainly had those thoughts where I'll wake up at three in the morning and I can't get a particular problem out of my head. Um, and, you know, maybe it's as simple as this, that because the psychedelics help you appreciate life more, you've just got other things to focus on, right? So, um, so I can get out of that, that rut of thinking by thinking, you know, like, okay, so my wife and I would occasionally have these blowout arguments, and then I would, you know, I would worry about that over the course of the, uh, the, the day or if it went into the night and the next day, you know, like what's going to happen now. And um, so what happened after the psilocybin sessions was I was okay with the emotion. Before I was just trying to avoid conflict and then it, that would continue through the, through the fight and the next day, um, but I became okay with it. And so it was like, as the fight was happening and I was getting my temperature up, they'd be like... I'd be actually thinking, this is okay, this is healthy, this is productive and good will come out of this. And I knew we always make up the next day and I was able to see that future better, uh, more easily. And I would say that's probably true of every aspect of my life. I feel like I can see the future a little bit better. Like I'm I'm just slightly above, above where I was in my life and so I can see over the horizon a little bit better. And so that reduces negative impact, it it increases positive impact. Um, Yeah, you know, like a a friend of mine, a colleague actually stopped smoking as a result of uh, psilocybin therapy. It's been something like eight months now, she's still not even the slightest craving, but it's because now she can see the future of what happens to her lungs when she's smoking a cigarette. Uh, and, And so it just stops her. It's like, I can see the future, why would I do this?
0: For those listening, there are some links to studies on BalancedTrail.com, but there are some studies that indicate, well, not indicate, there are some studies that have demonstrated uh, over 80% sustained success with smoking cessation and psychedelics. So that is by far not uh, an anomaly uh, in terms of psychedelics. Um, so let's, let's switch gears here a little bit, because one of the questions I'm often asked is, well, how did you land on MDMA? Uh, And for me, again, I'm only at the very beginning of my psychedelic journey, a little little bit of a pause at the pandemic right now. But um, I was very intent on plant medicine. Everything I had read, everything I had studied, I wanted to be connected to Mother Nature. And I I don't think I had enough um, courage for ayahuasca, so I was going to go with psilocybin first. Um, But then the universe presented MDMA in front of me through a series of conversations, and I just chose to embrace it. For those that are sitting there, one of the questions that I get that I'll put to you is, well, which medicine do I start with? How do I know? Because you're pretty wired with a Western mentality, which is X is, for, X is for A element and Z is for B element. And we know once you're on the other side of it, it doesn't exactly work that way, but people want some guidance. What would you say when someone is at the beginning of this journey on which medicine to explore or, or to learn about?
1: I would say always start with MDMA. <laughs> um, and most therapists would say the exact same thing. Almost regardless of your indication, um, what MDMA does, it opens you up, it creates an, an empathetic bond with your therapist, um, actually with anybody, uh, and allows you to just talk about what's going on at, at far deeper levels than, than even with yourself. You know, as you say, buried trauma, even yourself, you'll start allowing yourself to feel uh, things that you haven't felt in a while, and it cushions you in this nice uh, positive cloud of you know, like everything's gonna be okay, the world is an okay place. As a party drug, that's amazing, right? <laughs> but if you don't go uh, uh, and listen to music and just put on eye shades and lie back and you're better, then you're gonna have this amazing introspective experience and you'll feel good about the whole thing. Um, and one of the most effective treatments for any kind of, you know, therapeutic approach is combining MDMA with psilocybin. Uh, which everybody agrees is going to be the treatment in the future, but there's no way you get FDA approval to combine those two illegal medicines right now. Um, So they're both being tested independently, and as soon as they're both approved independently, you're going to see the therapists moving to combined treatment very fast. Um, But I would say start with MDMA. The the positivity, you'll never get a bad trip on MDMA. Uh, Sorry, I take that back because obviously you had challenges in yours. Um, I would not
0: consider mine a bad trip. It was, right. it was um, laborious, right. but it was okay, remarkably that... successful and cathartic.
1: Right. So, so that's, that's a really good word, laborious. So you might have you know, a challenging uh, experience, but it's going to be worth it. And you're going to say, oh, my God, that was worth it. Um, but it'll still be a little bit easier on MDMA than with psilocybin, where things where you don't have that nice positive cushion. So you might go through some really scary stuff. Um, but again, when you come out of it on the other side, you'll be like, man, I needed to confront that demon and I beat the, beat the thing and now, now I feel great.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's amazing how autopilot that experience was. Uh, I had, you know, again, I was, I was aware the entire time. It's like a lucid dream. And uh, again, I'm sure you well, I know you can relate. Um, I knew where I was. I knew, my, you know, I knew my surroundings, but I didn't have to do anything. I just let it work. And that's also fascinating, right? About these psychedelics is that they are, from everything I have read and studied, they are self guiding, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Your brain knows what's wrong, and, and you automatically go to that dark place and explore it, right? right? And so often therapy is just about knowing about the dark place and exploring it. And, you know, I was, a therap- I was in therapy for 15 years. Um, I haven't mentioned, I'm actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder myself. Uh, Thank and you for sharing. Yeah, and I started to see a therapist with that. Um, and we've been talking for, now it's been, sorry, it's been 18 years now. And the subject of childhood trauma never came up. You know, the furthest back I ever went might've been my first marriage at age uh, 24. And, and then my brain went straight to childhood trauma. When, uh, when I was on psilocybin. And again, discovered some amazing things about myself. Um, and then went to talk to my therapist and said, you know, what the hell? You know, we've been talking for, for this period of time and we never got to this. And she said, well, you know, you, you never brought it up. It never turned up as a circumstance. And it was, it was kind of buried for me. Um, and she said, well, you want to talk about it now? It's like, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> and immediately, like, even in the half hour remaining of that session, we got into things that were very emotional and, and productive. But I would never have brought it up. She would never have brought it up. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, oh man, that was powerful. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, uh, we're, you know, as we head to sort of the closing chapter of this conversation, I do want to talk a little bit about your foundation. Um, you mentioned, obviously, that you were very blessed and had fortune good fortune with technology, but you've really taken your time and your resources to help others. And I think that's important uh, for lots of reasons, but why don't you talk a little bit about the foundation, what the mission is, and then really where, what role you see for yourself uh, in the psychedelic ecosystem, and then we'll kind of bring it on home after that.
1: Sure. Um, so one thing I found uh, early, early on, speaking with the first researchers, is that nearly 100% of the funding to prove that these drugs work um, uh, has been philanthropic in nature. So there are no government institutions. The National Institute for Health in the UK, Health Canada, um, you know, the Institute for, uh, uh, I guess, NIDA, National Institute for uh, Drug Abuse in the US, none of them are funding what is amounting to the most effective treatment for everything, opiate use disorder, uh, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder. You think? the Veterans Administration in the US would be funding this. No, they're, they're standing by waiting for a cure, right? And they're excited about the results, but no money. Um, so, uh, you know, there's been $80 million raised to date to fund uh, uh, MDMA for post-traumatic stress disorder, 100% philanthropic in nature. And so I realized um, there was a strong need to continue that funding. Uh, to expand it a little bit to other indications, to other uh, medicines and was happy that I could get involved that way. You know, these drugs are made illegal without an iota of scientific, t- scientific evidence. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, to make them legal, we have to create a mound of scientific evidence uh, to prove that they're not harmful, that they actually uh, help. We're starting to see that. Oh, my goodness, this fall, you're going to see the results of a couple of studies on psilocybin that are going to blow everybody away. You know, things that that show effect sizes far beyond anything you've ever seen with SSRIs for depression. So that's exciting. Um, So the the potential for the foundation or the objective of the foundation is really to encourage psychedelic science. It's how do we create that mountain of evidence to make these drugs legal. We're not involved in the actual legalization efforts. we're not involved in clinical deployment of, of these. They, you know, that might come in the future. But once they're legal, a lot of commercial interest will be shown. In fact, there's already a lot of commercial interest in, in psychedelics. I, I, I fear that it's a little bit early, because we're, we're years away from legalization. But hey, in the meantime, you can, uh, you can try it yourself. I, I fully encourage that. I say you know, practice harm reduction. Read a lot before you try it. Um, or volunteer for a study. And uh, uh, there's lots of those going on as well. Um, you know, we try and get involved in w- almost everything, uh, particularly if it's in Canada. But we're involved in lots of studies in the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, as well.
0: So, kind of a closing closing line of thought and questions. And you mentioned this a couple of times. is I want to talk a little about access because at the moment, unless you do enroll in a study or have sort of an underground, uh, not even underground or, or recreational connection. Um, underground connections, uh, retreats, um, these are not cheap, uh, certainly to the average person. Um, you know, especially, especially when you look at the fact that you might require more time, possible multiple sessions, if you don't feel comfortable doing it in a place where it's not legal, which, you know, for the most part is really the entire U.S. at this point, you know, do you go underground, do you go to Costa Rica, do you go to the Netherlands, do you go to Peru? Um, talk a little bit about your vision for access. Where do you think this will be in a few years? Obviously, we can both relate that that's way too long, but we can only do so much at this point. Talk a little bit about where your passion, and your thoughts are on access when the average person can really get not just help, but be cured, mostly cured, if not entirely cured of these mental health anchors that have weighed them down for Lord knows how long of their life.
1: So, you know, one of the great things here uh, is in cities like uh, Toronto, Vancouver, uh, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, there are vast, deep networks of underground therapists that will help you with this. Uh, They are licensed therapists. They are MDs that have clinics that operate completely above ground, but they believe so strongly in these cures that they're willing to risk their licenses Mm. um, to provide these services underground you won't get them by searching on the internet. You won't get them um, superficially by asking around. You, you are going to have to talk to the right people. But what I would say encourage uh, is um, talk about it. Talk about uh, uh, you know, your indications and that you think psychedelics might be a good approach. And you'll find somebody uh, who'll say, well, I know someone you should talk to. And then you'll find out just how how broad-based this movement is. And generally you lose your fear as soon as you speak to, uh, to somebody who's doing this. Um, the people who are willing to take that risk early on tend to be very empathetic individuals who are also very, um, very talented. So, um, so it's out there. Um, it doesn't require going onto the dark web or doing anything else that feels <laughs> a little bit sketchy. Um, yep. It'll feel very, very positive and, and natural. Uh, when you do it and I just want to add one note here these retreats you'll find lots of retreats that are ayahuasca retreats go to Costa Rica go to Peru Um, uh, I would add that your fear or nervousness about that is fully justified you know Mm -hmm. I've done an ayahuasca experience it was amazing it was totally worth it not sure I ever want to do it again Um, (laughs) it's you know what you hear about getting sick or you know nightmares or something like that yeah yeah, it's, again, it's positive, it works, but I would encourage people to maybe not make that their first psychedelic experience because it can be, yeah, it can be scary.
0: I appreciate your validation, that was my thoughts and it's amazing how I viewed MDMA as the first step. Uh, psilocybin is my goal for, for a second step, uh, you know, when, when, when appropriate. Um, you know, I really appreciate your perspectives because you, you are right, there is a large underground movement that are willing to risk their professional career because they have seen and believe this medicine works and works effectively. Um, and, and that's just a testament and a power to what's been given. And whether you go with plant medicine, whether you have Ibogaine, whether you do choose ayahuasca, things that are naturally occurring in the In the ecosystem, or an MDMA or an LSD, which is certainly more on the synthesized molecular format, Um, you know these are medicines that have been around as young as 80 years and as old as thousands of years. So you're not looking at stuff that's, you know, created six months ago or or a year ago. And I hope that gives people some comfort. Uh, Sanjay, I want to give you the closing word, um, but I will just close out by saying that it has been unbelievable speaking with you again. I had such a great connection when we first met, and. I feel I could probably do 10 of these with you and just focus on a different topic every time. Um, This uh, podcast, of course, is available on Anchor FM. So thank you so much for listening. Um, Sanjay, I wanna let you close it out with your thoughts, uh, your final thoughts on psychedelics. So I'll hand it over to you.
1: Sure, thanks. Uh, Thanks, Ben. You know, One thing that occurred to me uh, that I, I wanna mention is the reason all of this stuff is funded philanthropically is because it works because you don't need a pill every day for the rest of your life. You know, two treatments with psilocybin over a two week period will cure your depression because you'll you'll find the reason for it and you'll fix it. Um, so I would say, you know, if you want to fix what's wrong as opposed to taking a pill for the rest of your life, you know, psychedelics are the way to go. This is why these people believe in it so strongly, but you won't see commercial interests hyping this up. Johnson and Johnson or, um, you know, uh, Pfizer are not going to be pitching psilocybin. First of all, they're not in patent protection. And secondly, they actually work. So let me just get that out there that the, this is how powerful these, uh, these treatments are and also why you're not going to see it at your corner drugstore uh, in the near future. You will eventually.
0: All right. In your corner drugstore soon enough. Well, Sanjay, thank you so much again. For more information, please visit at BalancedTrail.com. Thank you again, Anchor FM, for hosting our podcast. Sanjay, until we meet again, thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Ben. Thanks.
0: Take care. Bye. Bye.